Thanks for listening to the show, everybody. Ray is coming right up, but with such a limited time in which to enjoy your watercraft. And I know it's January up there in Canada. But still, don't waste any of it worrying about how to protect your property in the event of an accident or a theft. Let Wyatt Dowling ensure you're properly covered. Leave your worries at the door. All points marine coverage for your watercraft, including winterization going on right now. And it covers the freezing and vermin coverage. Emergency towing, loss of use. Water ski, wakeboard liability included. Three-year new model replacement. Allpointsinsurance.ca. Take care of your watercraft, and it will take care of you people. Thanks for listening. On to the show. A Pulp MX Network production. Welcome to the Pulp Hockey Show with Ray Ferraro and Steve Mathis. Support the show by clicking the Amazon banner on PulpHockey.com before shopping. Follow the show on Twitter at Pulp Hockey. Subscribe on iTunes and find us on Stitcher or your favorite podcast app. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Pulp Hockey Podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. Get it on iTunes, wherever you get podcasts from. Uh, also to pulphockey.com site. You can also get it on there, the old school way. And please, yeah, tell a friend. Spread the word. Help us grow the show. It's been going very well for us uh, all year long, and uh, it's because of you people. So thank you. Appreciate it. I'm Steve Mathis. With me on the line, the real expert of hockey, 18 years in the game, now TSN lead color analyst, freshly back from the World Junior Championship. Ray Ferraro, what's up, Ray? How are you? I'm good. I am uh, thawing out. <laughs> we were we were in Buffalo for that just brutal cold snap that the East got. Mm-hmm. Like I'm telling you, not everybody complains about the weather, right? It's yeah. pastime. It's what you do. I've never been that cold. That's yeah. saying something because you've uh, yeah, and yeah. and and I was that cold for two weeks. Yeah. Like the coldest five seconds of your day, we're walking out the door to your car and you're like, okay, it was almost like you had to psych yourself up. I can do this. I can get to the car. So we get in the car and then like Gammy or I would sit in the front seat and we'd be like, okay, did you buckle Reese in yet? And we'd be like, damn, somebody's got to get out of the car because the buckle you had to get out. And oh, I was a, it that was a tough one. We were, we were just short of rock, paper, scissoring in to see if we were going to look after our kid. <laughs> nice, nice. I like it. Um, thanks for the shout-out on, on, on Overdrive. Between the uh, Silver Stick and the uh, podcast talk the other day, uh, Toronto Radio has heard my name. And, and so, therefore, see? maybe a member of the Maple Leafs has heard my name. And, therefore, maybe I'm part of the team. <laughs> well, that, that, by extension right i'm working on that but uh, no thank uh, you i appreciate that you you're describing that no, no, you're describing how a podcast we works get on there right somehow we get up on topics sometimes they matter sometimes they don't right on uh, overdrive like you know yeah we've been on there for 15 minutes talking about shoelaces i don't know how it happened <laughs> but kind of just what happened that day yeah, no, absolutely. Hey, so is the silver medal toss by the Swedish captain, Leas Anderson, is that still relevant, Ray? Do I do, do you want to expand on that? I don't well, know. Well, I, I'd like I mean, to... for people that haven't heard about it or opinion or what have you, I mean, there's there's lots of ways to look at it, but when I when I do a game, mm-hmm. I most often I watch it back. Yep. 
after uh, just to see if I liked what I said or if I made sense or I, you know, sometimes you, you say something and you go, Oh, I don't, at the time you go, I don't even know if that was yeah. good <laughs> or if it was brutal. I don't even, you know, cause it happened so fast. So I went back and I listened and I was happy that what I said at the time is what I believe now. So I, in my mind, I got it right. Um, now there's, as I'm watching him throw the medal over the glass, I'm, I'm literally kind of like my stomach kind of drops. Yeah. Because I know I got to say something here. And, I mean, I could ignore it um, because I, I don't really want to – I know what the reaction, yeah. generally speaking, is going to be yeah. um, for that kid. And I'm like, uh, but I got to say something. So I, I said, look, I, I love him as a player. He's a hardworking kid. He was really the engine of that team. Um, you know, there's nothing I don't like about the way he plays, mm-hmm. but what he did was wrong. It's just wrong. Yeah. Like you, there, there's a, a way to act and a way to be. Now, if you, if you didn't want the medal and you wanted to, and you, you, you're not, you're going to take it off your neck and throw it away. It, in my mind, it's disrespectful to the tournament. It's disrespectful to the team that won. Um, you should show respect to your opponent, mm-hmm. but it's also disrespectful to the jersey, more so the jersey you're wearing, which is also your country's flag. If he didn't want the medal, he shouldn't have gone up and got it. Yeah, he should have just stayed in the back and didn't get it, or get the medal, take it off, and hold it in your hand. Yeah, and then give it to somebody after. Do whatever you want. Yeah. But, Publicly, that's not the right thing to do. Now, there's people that have, and lots of media as well, that have had the opinion, um, oh, what a warrior. He doesn't like to lose. I hated to lose. Yeah. Ron Francis, who was our captain in Hartford, a Hall of Fame player, he hated to lose. You would have never known by talking to Ron around a game. Yeah, because that's just not the way you want or the way you act. But that doesn't because Ronnie didn't break his stick over the net every time we got scored on. It doesn't mean he cares less. Right. Like, do you mean to tell me that Leah Anderson cares more than um, Oscar Steen, one of the players on that team who played his guts out? Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. That's just how he reacted at the time. It doesn't make him a warrior in the least. What it makes him is a 19-year-old kid that did something that we all did at 19 that we would probably want to take back. I'm sure we all did lots of things. Oh, yeah. Went, oh, yeah. That was kind of stupid. <laughs> right, right. Now, he said he doesn't regret it, and maybe he doesn't. Mm-hmm. But here's, the, here's what I would say is at one point, Leah Anderson is going to be married. He's going to have kids. Maybe his kids would want to see the medal. But when you're 19, you, can't, you have no big-picture perspective. Your big picture is next week. That, that I mean, like that's yeah. as far as you're yeah. as you're thinking ahead. I met his dad on the train mm-hmm. um, uh, between the hotel and the rink in Buffalo, and um, super nice guy. Yeah, like really nice guy. I played with his uncle, uh, who I saw at the tournament, who now scouts for Tampa, Mikhail Anderson. He's an incredible guy, yeah. awesome guy. I'm sure Leif Anderson's the same. However, it's just not. <laughs> it wasn't the right way to react and it's done. It's done. And it'll become a moment in his life yeah. and it won't, won't impact him further. Um, now I agree. The, the way he was breaking down 
uh, on the blue line, you know, during the ceremony. Oh. Like, you could tell. Like, I, I don't know. You would know better than I would. I haven't seen too many silver medal winners just be looking like emotionally crushed, right? Like, like okay, no one's happy. You, I mean, Ray, you got a silver at the Worlds, right? I believe silver mm-hmm. or bronze. So, yeah. I mean, you, you've been in that literally in that position. You're not stoked on life, but I've no, I haven't seen too many guys just breaking down like him. So clearly, he was so emotional. Oh, a hundred percent. Now, here's the one thing about the silver medal. You don't win a silver medal. You lose and get a silver medal. <laughs> it's true. You, true. You win a you yeah. win a bronze. Yes. Yes. That is oh, true. The crazy actually, part is, <laughs> if you win the third place game, you're way happier yeah. than losing and getting the second place medal. Yeah. 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 You got a point. Sure. Um, and, and he got it back though, right? I believe he did. Yeah. Now, <laughs> what he's going to do with it? I don't know. If you know, I'm not sure. Like. Cammy's got, I believe, seven uh, silver medals from the World Championships, and she's got a gold medal uh-huh. from the World. Um, she's got a gold from the Olympics and a gold from the or and a silver from the Olympics. Mm-hmm. I can guarantee you the golds mean more to her. Yeah, because that's the completion of the journey. Yeah. If I'm the guy who catches a silver medal, I'm not giving it back. Like that's, that's oh, that, that guy. Did you see that guy? Yeah, I did. He, he was. He had. A, he has rocking that jersey. <laughs> he was. Yeah. Which one? He had three different ones on. Um. He had a U.S., a Canada, and a Sweden jersey. Yeah. He looked like he'd had about seventy-four beers. <laughs> he was a grit grinder, as as the yeah, overdraft guys. He had. He had, uh, he had worked his way deep into the night. Yeah. I'm not giving it back. I'm. I'm. Cool, sweet. I got a silver medal. Like, uh, I don't know. Ah, uh, you got to give it back. <laughs> no. The kid's 19. You it doesn't matter. It you caught it. You got a silver medal. He gave it away. It's awesome. What a, what a, buy a ticket for the. Nobody, <clears throat> okay. nobody is going to believe that guy that he won a silver medal <laughs> in the 2018 World Junior Tournament where you uh, can only be 19 years old. <laughs> That's probably a good point. But here's, yes. here's one other thing I'll say. Yeah. About being young and, and such. The National uh, College Football Championship was Monday. Yep. Right? And so the quarterback for Alabama gets taken out at halftime. Yep. And he's going to sit there and watch this other quarterback do an amazing job. Phenomenal. They win. Yeah. He's he's 20 years old, too. You know, he's yeah. just a kid. Yeah, they're both freshmen, like true freshmen, I guess. Yeah, he does that, he does that interview after the game. And his, I know they won, but his conduct was exemplary. Mm-hmm. It had to hurt that he wasn't the quarterback. Had to. Yep. But he chose, you know, he had the benefit of being on the winning side, but he handled it in a way that, you know, Anderson just at the moment couldn't. Yep. No, absolutely right. And uh, like you said, he'll learn from it. He'll he'll laugh about it in a few years and. Life will go well, on. His teammates should. His teammates. That should be a skit somewhere down the road where the team <laughs> makes fun of him. I mean, whatever team he ends yeah. up playing on. Uh, by the way, too, we are going to have uh, TSN's Ryan Rashog on later on to uh, to talk about the tire fire right now. That is the Edmonton Oilers. How about that? I one after another after another. One of the the leagues. I would say the next. Well, with the Penguins, uh, the league's biggest disappointment. I don't know what's going on. There's there, there, there is no possible way in anyone's worst case scenario 
it could have gone this bad, right? Like, worst case. No. They, <laughs> hell, they were second round, one win from the conference final. Um, yeah, Connor McDavid, they got a great goalie. I mean, like, so it just it fell apart so fast. And the interesting part, I want to ask Ryan about this when he comes on, too, is that in training camp, it seemed like Todd McClellan was a little itchy about this, that he felt there might be an issue that they were going to have to deal with, that they were, he was worried. It seemed like he was worried they weren't as good as everybody else projected them to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before we get out, lots, lots yeah. of times, of course, the coach knows his team better than yeah. anybody else. So yep. before we get him on, let's quickly get into the bye week discussion. Something new the NHL tried last year. They modified it this year a little bit. What are your thoughts, Ray, on this bye week for the teams and players? And and would you have liked it? And and what what, what do you think? Well, I would have loved it for sure. Five <laughs> days off. You got a you got a vacation. That's a dumb of the question, year? right? That's a tough question. Yeah, you? of course, man. You mean I don't have to? Right. I don't have to put my skates on for five days because here's the other thing: it's mandated that you can't practice. Yeah. Like, it's legit five days away. So the guys go away. They'll go somewhere warm. They'll feel healthier, for sure. It, the place that really sucks is the guys that are hurt because they've still got to get treatment. You know, you yeah. got, you got to look after yourself so they can't go anywhere. And if you're, you know, that's just the way it goes, I guess. But last year they had it, and they didn't really do a very good job of managing the schedule when teams came out of the break. So yeah. in a lot of cases, uh, a team would come out of the break playing a team that had played five games in seven days. Yeah. Yep. You know, this year it seems more widespread. Uh, they've organized it a little better. And, um, you know, I've got St. Louis next Tuesday. They're in Toronto. That's their first game out of the break. Yep. This break can't come quick enough, by the way, for Jake Allen, who is – melted down for the second year in a row. Uh, remember last year yeah. they sent him home yeah, for a, a mental break, if you, <laughs> which was a crazy thing to say. Like, it was. It was. Just just say he's got a, he's got the flu. He pulled a groin. He pulled anything. Now, say anything. Whatever. Just leave him at home. <laughs> Do him a favor. Anyway, he came back and played quite well. Well, right now he's given up three, uh, three goals or more in six of his last eight starts. He's got one win in those eight starts. He's been, he's been a mess. He needs this break. He needs to get away. Like that would just be yeah. one example of somebody that would really probably benefit from this time away. Do you remember as a player? So we're in the dog days, right? We're maybe not quite yet. Maybe mid January to mid February, but yeah. we're, we're close or we're there. Do you remember as a player it becoming a, a, just a grind, just a slog at, at a certain point? Yeah. What what I remember is just no energy. Yeah. Like you'd you'd go to practice and you'd get through practice. Usually, come home, eat lunch, take a you know your thirty minute yeah. nap or yeah. something, and you know, and then get on with the day. But in the dog days, you come home, you take a two hour nap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you just you can't move, yeah. and you're you get up and you got no energy, and it's dark, and you know, there's no light. You know, like there's just yep. no. Nothing that picks you up, but I, I don't remember the teammate I had. He was an older teammate. I was in Hartford, and he he mentioned that if you can have a good stretch, middle of January to kind of end of February, mm-hmm. like in there, if you can have one real good stretch when everybody else is dragging their ass, 
you can put points in the bank that nobody else is getting. And that <laughs> always kind of stuck with yeah. me. That's, you know, how important that is. Now, can you motivate your team? Can you motivate yourself? That's, that's the question at that time. And it is, um, it is a slog. There's no, yep. I mean, you're, you're kind of wading through it right now and you're, we used to look forward to the all-star break. Oh man, two and a half days off. That'd two and a half. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. But I mean, like you were looking forward to anything that you could just take a breather. Yeah. on. Uh, although nowadays in, in 2017, I, I would, I think they practice less than you guys ever did. Right. Oh, for sure. Yeah, because like it's... One thing that is hilarious is watching the, the mandated days off per month. Uh-huh. Like they get an extra day off. And so us, us old guys, we're like, how soft are these guys? They get another day off. Yeah, exactly. Like if, if we played a game and we sucked, there was zero chance we were getting the next day off. Yeah. Right? None. Yeah. You were going to practice. And yeah. you just knew that was kind of the deal. Well, now if, if it is on one of the mandated days off, they can't even practice. Yeah. Too bad, right? Yeah, too bad for the coaches. They want to, you know, they want to have a punishment skate or whatever, or they want to work on something. Can't do that. Coach comes in, kicks the garbage can, yells and screams, and then says, "Enjoy your day off, everybody." Okay, we'll see you Monday. And that's, that's all he's got. Right. One more thing I want to touch on before we get to talking Oilers, and it involves the Oilers, is that insane offside review we had last night in the in the Predator Oiler game cost the Oilers a goal. Uh, Jujar Kara's skate was. I don't know, five millimeters off, his back skate was off the ice, and it was ruled an offside, and I can't stand this, Ray. This is, I can't stand the NFL rule that's going on right now that is preventing touchdowns, and I, and I can't stand this that is preventing offense, and I liked, I liked the shootout. I enjoyed the shootout when they brought it in. Now I don't enjoy it. I thought this ruling was good because we had that Duchesne goal, and so that we couldn't do anything about. And so review is good to me, but I'm done with it too. Like Roman Polak, I'm done with this offside review rule. It's, it's ridiculous. Well, here's, here's, the, here's the part about the, um, about the rule is that, and, they, and they, they talk about this at the league a lot. There's often unintended circumstances that happen when a rule's enforced. Mm-hmm. Remember Brett Hull's Stanley Cup winning goal? Yeah. That's not how the rule was supposed to be, except yep. in reality, that's what the rule was. And the league was terrified that they were going to end up with a, a you-know-what bomb yeah. on their hands. And they got one because it was the Stanley Cup final. This offside rule was to eliminate plays like Duchesne's where, you know, the guy's two football fields offside. <laughs> yep. and, for, and for some reason, nobody saw it. The crazy part of it, that's the only one I can ever remember being that egregious. Agreed. That yes, agreed. Yeah. So <clears throat> I remember I was doing a game in Toronto. Goal went in, and I hear uh, in my headset, there's going to be a review. And I'm like, for what? <laughs> there's no goalie interference. There's, yeah. you know, and they said for the offside. I'm like, offside? When? The producer's talking to me, and he's like, when they came over the blue line, I go, that was 20 seconds ago. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, I know. So that was the first inclination I had that this thing was stupid. Yeah, you're like, that wait a was, minute, right. <laughs> this, is, this is crazy. The, other, the Leafs actually got scored on. They had the puck, if I remember right, they had it twice <laughs> in the 20 seconds. Gave it away. And yeah. they still went yeah. back to the offside. 
So um, Pierre Lebrun, uh, who works for TSN and RDS in Canada, uh, just wrote an article uh, today, today's Wednesday, about, he talked to a few people about the rule, and he talked to Colin Campbell. Mm-hmm. Now, Colin Campbell is the head of the um, of the NHL, the competition, and all, and the rules. Yep. And I think there's a, a misthought that he determines what happens. The general managers are the ones that determine what happens. They try to shepherd the rules through, and then the general managers vote on this. Campbell didn't like this rule last year. He and others tried to change it. Um, it was voted down. What, uh, ironically, one of the general managers that voted it down was Peter Shirelli, <laughs> who right. said, "No, I think this is working this is, right. This is good. This is this is really yeah, good." Except, yeah. oops. So, in in my mind, there's there's a real simple fix to this, um, and and every time they review a play, the only thing that does happen, the only conclusion is because the puck's already in the net. The only conclusion can be that they can take a goal away. They can't add one ever. Mm-hmm. You can never add a play. Just think, a team's on a three-on-two. Really close play at the blue line. Linesman calls it offside. If you review it, you go, oh, man, everybody was onside. Well, uh, too bad. You yeah. lost the rush. Yep, yep. So the, the only thing that happens here is goals get taken away. The solution is, like Kara last night, the only thing that was offside, his foot was outside the blue line but it was in the air. Mm -hmm. So if your foot is outside the blue line, on the neutral zone side of the blue line, it should be onside. Like make it a a vertical line, not just the one on the ice. Because you're sitting there staring at this stuff. Is a skate on the ice? Because there's some that are even closer than this. It's infuriating. I say take it off. I say take it right out. Right out. Forget it. Well, you know what's funny? Remember, back in the day, the, the offside rule couldn't have been simpler. Puck has to go over the blue line before anybody else. Yeah. Now, if you have possession, you can go over backwards. Yeah. If you, if you're, yeah, exactly. If you're, if you're doing pillow, pillow and, and like, they you got took it. The, yeah. the the one rule that most people understood, <laughs> they made it complicated. True. That's true. All right. So I don't, I don't like the rule the way it is. Um, they're going to push for the change again in March, um, at the next board of governors meeting and. One thing they said was they're not sure if they've got enough support this time either. But no. hopefully, hopefully there'll be four or five more of these, and more more teams will get affected by it. Yeah, because the more teams that get affected by it, then the 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 more teams that um, that might vote against it. Well, I brought up the NFL ruling, and I, I mean that's costing them fans. I think I think that's costing them. You mean the catch? The catch, it, where where oh, you have ridiculous. possession, you it, it's t- it's cradled in, it touches the ground and moves, you know, three inches, and, and that's it. There's no catch. I, this is this is this, this is not destroying the NFL. That's too strong of a statement. But this is really costing them fans. Fans are like, that's a catch. Well, I see it, Steve. There, it wasn't very long ago we used to say about the NFL. Man, they get everything right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think we say that anymore. <laughs> Nobody really says that much, right? Yeah, that would be that would be well, no one. Yeah, it's just we need offense. You and I have gone on and on over the year plus. We've done these shows, and 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 you're, you're not you're not. I, helping I don't him. get how I don't get how I, I like my opinion to be right, right? Okay, <laughs> like everybody else, you right. want your opinion to be right. Hot take. I don't get it's a hot how, take, right? I don't, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't get how anybody 
could defend a position that takes offense away. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah. I don't understand yeah. it yeah. because it's like saying, "Okay, we we go to sports for entertainment, right? That's what we do. Mm-hmm. That's why that's why people love it. We go to movies for entertainment. That's why we go to movies." What if they said, okay, we're going to take the climactic scene of the movie and we're going to maybe put it in or maybe not have it there? (laughs) It's It's the best part of the movie. Oh, but it might not be there. Yeah, Yeah, goals are the best part of the game. Well, we're going to take some of them away. Makes no sense. It's uh, it's ridiculous. And so for me, as a fan, just forget it. I'll I'll go with the linesman calls. And and if you got to slow-mo the camera and be like, look, the linesman blew it, I would – guess they would blow it, uh, I would guess, randomly 5% of all calls all year long. Steve, the, the, I'm a huge baseball fan. Yeah. How many times do they review that play at second base? You watch it 10 times on review and you go, oh, wow, that guy got it right. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, like, and we're <laughs> looking at super slow motion. Yeah. We do this on offside, and it's the same thing. Those guys get it right way more than we think they do. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, you want to bring Ryan in? Yeah. All right, to discuss the Edmonton Oilers and more, and hopefully this man isn't uh, isn't too depressed these days uh, in the city of Edmonton. Uh, from TSN, it's Ryan Rashog. What's up, Ryan? How are you? And uh, how's the mental health these days, Ryan? Well, I'm fine, and doesn't make a difference to me. I spent 10 years covering a team that was out of the playoffs after going to Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final, and is what it is, man. doesn't make a difference to me. I still come home to the family and <laughs> do my thing, so whatever. Win, lose, could care less, but it's definitely painful for other fans, I can tell you that much. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Ryan, at the start of the year, uh, Steve and I were just talking um, off air, but at the start of the year, I seem to remember Todd McClellan, um, there was a little angst around the Oilers from, I would say from Todd, but also the expectations were so great. It felt like they knew that this might be way harder than most thought. Is that fair? Well, well I, I think there's something there, Ray. Now, do you mean before the season started or do you mean when the early struggles happened? Because no, where I really before, noticed in it training, Todd, in training camp, Ryan, in training camp. Yeah. Yeah, and and where I really noticed it from Todd was when in the first five games things didn't go well for them. And I think maybe it ties into what you're talking about. I think maybe that was there, that there was this sense of a lot of things went right last season, and if a few of those things go wrong, it could really go in the wrong direction. And I think it manifested itself when things didn't go well early on. They started with a great win against Calgary where everything went right, and then the wheels fell off. There was, And, and I feel that Todd McClellan uh, may have overplayed his hand in the early going this season. I think he squeezed really, really tight when things went bad. There was an early pull on Cam Talbot in a game in Vancouver that kind of got his goalie off to not a great start. There was a, a, a loss to Winnipeg, after which he talked about his best players cheating for offense. This is early in the season to be piling on to some of these guys. There was uh, a three and a half days off between games where the practices were grueling and the media scrutiny was intense, and then he benched players who were in the doghouse you know, after three and a half days of media scrutiny and practice rather than letting them get back on the horse. I think he was so anxious, you guys, to draw a line in the sand and say, failure will not, will not be accepted and it will be met harshly. 
I think he overplayed that hand a bit, and everyone started squeezing their sticks, and it never got back on track. So who's under more heat right now? Would it be McClellan, or would it be Peter Shirelli, the general manager, who's had a bucket load of moves here that haven't really panned out the way that they needed to pan out? You know, start with the Everly Strom trade. That was his... You know, that was the latest one, um, yeah. not addressing the backup goaltending position and expecting, I don't know if they were expecting Cam Talbot to play 73 games again this year, but nobody does that, and and they didn't address that. So would it be Shirelli or would it be McClellan? Is it both? Well, if I'm making a list of whether it's a hot seat list or a who's culpable list, Peter Shirelli is on that list before Todd McClellan for me. Um, Todd's had his issues this year. I just outlined some of them. They continue, uh, along with a penalty kill that is one of the worst the game has ever seen. And we could talk about the Oilers' penalty kill every day for the rest of the year, all day long, and we still wouldn't be talking about it enough. That's how bad it is. So that's on the coaches. But to your point about Peter Shirelli, I mean, listen, guys, there's only so many times you can trade down skill-wise. And if you look at the history of Peter Shirelli making big trades, that is his M.O. Peter Shirelli, and trust me, other GMs must know this about him. He is a guy that takes players and trades down. In all of the major deals that he's made, you go all the way back, I mean, back to his days in Boston, right? The Kessel deal, traded down to picks. Didn't know it was going to be Sagan at the time. He didn't know that, right? The Sagan trade, trades down for a bunch of guys and, and, and you know, trades down in that trade. The Taylor Hall trade, trades yep. down in skill for salary with Larson. The Jordan Everly trade, trades down in skill for... You can only do that so many times. And eventually you've got an organization that doesn't have enough skill, believe it or not, with Dreisaitl and McDavid. So, and then on top of that, it's his job to know who's going to be capable of what. And so he looks at Drake Kajula and Anton Slepeshev and says, one of those two guys is going to grab it this year. One of those two guys will be able to play as a top seven or eight forward. Well, i got news for you. They played a game the other day where both those players were in the press box and Johan Ovi, too, was playing forward. He made a lot of bets that did not come through this season on top of trades that have watered down the skill level. Ryan, when you're going through that stuff, all that I can think of is it sounds like he's building a roster for 2011, <laughs> not, not a roster yeah. for, t- for today's game. Yeah, and I think that's fair. I mean, I think you look at the Lucic signing, uh, you go from Taylor Hall and his skill set, and while I won't go too far in criticizing the Hall trade because Adam Larson was brilliant for the Oilers last season, and fundamentally they needed to shift the shape of their team, and they did it, so I don't focus on the Hall trade so much. But, I mean, you look at you know the addition of Patrick Maroon, which was a great trade and worked out well for them, but you can only add so much big, slower skill, right? You can only downgrade the speed and skill of your team so many times, and so yeah, the game's getting faster. And we heard for months about a team that played too slow. So I would agree with you. I think that he, he needs to stop slowing things down and start speeding things up with some of his moves. And I think he's aware of it, too. When you look at the draft, they just completed and taking a guy like Kyler Yamamoto with their pick is a clear indication they think the game's moving in that direction, too. So where do they, where do they go in the short term, Ryan? Is there a short term, or does it have to transition... Well, into a long-term right now. Like, for me, they can make a move here or there, and maybe McDavid catches fire and lugs everybody else along with him. Or, But you still have the same problems, even if you do yeah. short-term fix. Right. And, and that's, that's be a the thing, right? Deal. 
with Shirelli, and, and, you know, another criticism, you guys, and this comes into what his plans might be moving forward, but, you know, the final year of Connor McDavid's entry-level deal, you got to get something done, right? He goes to $12.5 million next year, and things definitely get more uncomfortable. And so it's one thing to die on the vine with a world-class player on your team, and you're doing absolutely everything you can to put a winner around him, and it just, for whatever reason, it fails. It's another thing to die on that vine with $8.5 million in cap space, like, how bad does that look for a GM to be in the final year of entry level on a player as important as McDavid and have nothing but cap space available to you while your team is failing miserably? That is a bad look. So what so how, do you, how do you make a deal? You don't, what are your assets to move? You can't trade. Right. Picks, and, can you? And that's, no, they can't because their cupboards are virtually bare. I mean, on the blue line, they've got next to nothing coming. Up front, they've got Tyler Benson, who's having a resurgent second half here in, in the Western Hockey League. They've got Yamamoto, who pushed um, for, a, for a spot. So they have a little bit of skill up front, but the cupboards are largely bare. So they have no interest in trading first and second round picks. So what do you do? How do you fix it? Well, you've got Patrick Maroon, who I don't think a long-term deal is in the, in the works for. So somebody out there is going to want Patrick Maroon uh, at some point. Recover whatever asset you can for him. Move him on. You keep hearing things about, you know, a Mike Hoffman type trade. They need to make a hockey deal that improves them, but for somebody with contract. And so, you know, the biggest areas I think they need are, I think they need more skill on the wings and some goal scoring on the wings. And I think they need a power play, blue chip, cornerstone defenseman. They do not have that player yet. And until they get that player, I think they're going to have a hard time uh, keeping their power play efficient and, and being the offensive team they need to be. So good luck making hockey trades when you're out of the playoffs and everybody's throwing you anchors instead of help. So the, the, next, the next phase of that long term is with the penalty kill the way it is, um, which I believe they're 29th, um, they were – Deep in the twenties on the power maybe, No, they're they're thirty first. I just yeah, I was, I, did, they get, did they get right to the bottom? <laughs> they did. They did. Oh yeah, <laughs> and it's stunning, Ray. Like it's with a bullet. You should pull up their home penalty kill rankings. Oh, we talked about yeah, it last oh, week. They kill yeah. off half of them. Oh. It's incredible. Like, like Ryan, look at this. The game starts. <laughs> Ryan, look at this. If me and you were killing penalties. Could we be much worse? <laughs> I mean, I think there's a pretty strong gap between your ability and my ability. So, I mean, let's say, uh, I don't know, let's say you and Marty Baron instead of me and you and give you a fighting chance. But it's brutal, man. And, and, and it is so confusing for the coaches. It's flummoxing. And I've never used that word before, but this situation calls for it. They are flummoxed because on the road, they're like, They've been between third and fifth in the league this year with their penalty kill. Same players, same system, same size ice, same puck, same size opponents. Yet at home, they are the worst the game's ever seen. So how do you figure that in? How do you fix that when it works on the road and stinks to high heavens at home? And that is the flummoxing nature of the Oilers' penalty kill this year. What about Ryan Nugent Hopkins? Um, Really good year, or really great start, Um, but I... I have seen growth through Ryan. You know, as, as you know, Ryan, um, I've known Nugent Hopkins since he's a little guy, and I see sure. growth to his game. Um, I've seen him become a, a better, more well-rounded player. I see him being a guy that will put uh, enough points on the board that you can look at him as a, an asset offensively as well. 
does he figure in or does he become one of your chip assets that you might be able to move? Well, I mean, he is an asset that they would be able to move, and the return for Nugent Hopkins would be significant. Um, they absolutely cannot trade down with him again. They just cannot do it. It would be a massive mistake. So it needs to be a straight-across trade, need for need. It needs to be a hockey deal. And so I think what they're slowly realizing is that, you know, McDavid and Dreisaitl on the same line probably gives them their best chance of winning a game on any given night. But they need to keep them separated for portions because that's what—that's the look they may need in the playoffs, right? You come up against an Anaheim or teams that are deep down the middle, and you need to be able to play those guys apart. So there's great value in having a real good center like Nugent Hopkins for when you have McDavid and Dreisaitl together. They were hoping Strom could step in and give them a look there, but he hasn't been good enough at center. Nugent Hopkins, to me, the only way I move Ryan Nugent Hopkins if I'm the Oilers is if I'm getting the defenseman that you need in return. That's the only piece I would move him for. I wouldn't trade him for the winger because centers are more important. I would try him at wing before I'd trade him for a winger. But if they can get the right shot, power play, offensive defenseman that this organization desperately needs, I would consider using Nugent Hopkins to get that piece if the player is good enough. Ryan, I got a question too. We we talked a few weeks ago on the show about which teams when we're flipping channels, which teams Ray and I like to st- stop and watch, and yeah. And I mentioned the Oilers, and because they've just they were they've been so good, and like Connor McDavid, and they're so exciting and young, and, and it hasn't happened for all the reasons we just talked about. Now, ninety seven is the least of their problems, but right. is he not doing quite as well uh, this year? You're much closer than I am. When I watch it. I don't see the same flash I did in other years. Uh, and again, he's the least of their problems. But is he having a bit of an off year? Well, listen, the only reason that his numbers are off and that I would say that he's having an off year is because he played, I think, probably nine or ten games basically with some form of like dysentery. Yeah. Like, he was <laughs> right. ill. He was in bad shape. So he dipped for a while and he lost what looked like at least 10 pounds to me. Um, So, listen, his overall game to me, I mean, he was dominating in that game against the Nashville Predators. There have been multiple nights, even through this losing skid the Oilers have been on, where he's basically had the entire team and the city on his back Mm -hmm. skating around miles out there, putting five-star passes off the end of guys' sticks that just can't convert. He's been killing himself. So I think it's important to say that He's doing his part, and he's playing really, really well most nights. Now, we judge McDavid on a different level, and rightfully so. He's one of the best players we've seen, and so I think it's fair to take it to the next level of analyzing his game, right? So my analysis of Connor McDavid is this. He's a brilliant playmaker and can find guys that nobody else in the world can find out there. But... Until he develops more of a shoot-first attitude, he's not going to help this team as much as it needs to be helped. It's going to take some failure, I think, for, by the team for him to realize his best chance at getting to where he wants to be is to become more of a shoot-first player, to think goal-scoring more. He's already saying that he did last summer and that he's had that thought process. Mm-hmm. I don't see it manifest itself at all in his game. I'd like to see him shoot first more. I'd like to see him both work on and develop a one-timer. 
I don't think it's okay to just go, ah, I don't have a great one-timer, and you know that's okay. Mm-hmm. I would like to see him work on and develop better skills in the face-off circle. I don't think when you play as much as he plays, it's okay to say, oh, I'm not great at face-offs, and so I'll let Leon take them all. I'd like to see him work on his breakaways. I don't think it's okay to say, oh, I've never been a great breakaway player, and just be okay with that. There are deficiencies in McDavid's game as there are in every player, and I think when he really digs down and gets to work, working on those, um, his game will be the game it needs to be for this team to have the success that he wants it to have. But he's so brilliant, and he's accomplished so much already, Ray. Like, what's, what's the impetus to, to sneak into those corners of your game and turn over those stones that are uncomfortable to turn over when you have the world by the tail? Well, I would say that if he looks around – um, and, and to me, he seems like a, you know, a pretty aware kid of, of everything that's kind of going on around him. He has the resource of Wayne Gretzky that's there. We think of Gretzky is the greatest passer the game's ever seen, and of course he was. But he also has the most goals that anybody ever scored. Right. If you look at Sidney Crosby, when he came into the game, Sid was dreadful in face-offs, brutal. And he said at the end of his first year, I'm going to work on my face-offs. He's been in the 55 to 56% range for the rest of his career. Like, if I was a good player, I could only get so far. If you want to be one of the greats, and he can. I mean, Connor is just blessed and just a – he can get there. And so your points you make, Ryan, are really interesting because it's easy to to be – one of the best he wants to be the best then that's the area he has to get in and it seems foolish to me that you wouldn't do that so and that's the thing though Ray. like it takes when, when you've had everything go so well for you your whole life and your whole career what does it take to make you go okay i need to think about this a little bit different the special players specialize in working on things they're not good at I find with today's hyper-skilled players, the super high-end guys, they don't like working on things they aren't good at. And I've seen lots of high-end skilled players come through this town, and that has been the case. Jordan Eberle, I mean, my goodness, had he been able to develop any sort of one-timer whatsoever, having Ryan Nugent Ho- or having you know, well, Nugent Hopkins and then McDavid feeding him? But he never really worked on it. He never really realized the importance of it and worked. I mean, Sidney Crosby came through town a month or so ago, you guys. He sat out at the end of practice. We were waiting for him in the dressing room. 30 minutes he sat out on the ice with Chris Letang. He came into the dressing room. We interviewed him. I talked to him afterwards off camera and said, like, where were you? What are you doing? And he's like, ah, I've been working on my one-timer for the last couple of years. You know, earlier in my career, I didn't really need it because of where I played on the power play. Mm-hmm. But I've, they've moved me around a lot more in recent years, and I realize I need a, I need a one-timer. So he spends time developing a one-timer, and it's a like, two-year process. <laughs> That's the level that Sid thinks it on. And it's going to take a bit of failure, I think, and for Connor McDavid to realize just showing up and putting the sweater on isn't going to win his team a Stanley Cup, that he needs to lead that way. He needs to explore those uncomfortable corners. And in turn, Leon Dreisaitl will do the same. And yes, Apuli Yarvi will do the same. But I'm here to tell you, when McDavid showed up to play in the NHL, he did not show up to a group of players that had ever done that, ever. Taylor Hall, ever. Nugent Hopkins, Justin Schultz, none of these guys. It goes back to Alex Hemsky in this city. 
I watched the San Jose Sharks practice during the playoffs last year, guys. Joe Pavelski is on another level. Joe Thornton, Brent Burns, they were the ones that were out there early before practice. Joe Pavelski must have shot 200 pucks before a coach stepped on the ice. Where do they get that from? How do you find that? McDavid and company need to find some of that. And so far, they go out there, and I'm not saying they don't work hard, you guys, because they do. They work hard. But there's a next level that's available to them. So the question is, can you avoid? Can you skip the failure and figure out how to get them there now, or do they just have to experience the failure? Uh, well, they're experiencing it right now, aren't they? They are. They are. <laughs> good stuff, and Ryan. I'm not oh. laying it all on their feet. I want yeah. to be clear. Nope. They're brilliant players, yeah. and I'm not laying all this at their feet, but we're, we're analyzing these guys on a different level than everybody else, mm-hmm. and I think that that's fair to do. Well, you can you can talk about where we can spend as much time as we want talking about a, a backup goalie or the third or fourth liner or a penalty killer here or there. Um, most teams, for most of their roster, are the same. They're very similar. Your difference makers are the ones that your four or five guys. They're the ones that that change everything. And Edmonton's lucky to have one and three quarters of them. Drysight will be in the yeah. next and. They can be in a good spot, but I think you hit the nail on the head, Ryan. They may, they may need to go through a kick in the teeth here. Um, everything went so well for them, but they need, may need that before they can really, really take a leap. And and getting kicked in the teeth, and then following that up with some real reflection, and not just, yeah, the media's mean, and boy, yeah. everyone's a bunch of jerks and all right. that. And and I think it needs to be okay. Results were what I want them wanted them to be. Well, what do I do? And understanding that if you take care of, of it, other people will see that and follow that lead because that lead has not been established for these players yet in their NHL careers. They did not have those players here. And so it's just a bit of a shift in thinking that needs to happen, and I guess the failure may elicit that change. Well, good stuff, Ryan. Uh, thank you for your time today on the uh, Paul Pocky Podcast with Ray Ferraro. Always appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, thanks, uh, thanks for the insight, man. Yeah, anytime, guys. Always happy to be on uh, live TV or radio with my buddy Ray. And uh, anytime you want me on, just let me know. We will uh, we will give you a call, Ryan. Thanks again, man. And uh, man, I thought you were over the hump last year. <laughs> you know, like no, you know what? Back. I'm already starting to look into the draft prospects here. I've, I like <laughs> I used to do a deep dive every like November first, covering the orders. It was like November rolled around, time to start thinking about the draft. I thought those days were done. But I'm right back here again. I got my list. I'm going to dive into it. I wonder who would look good on this order blue line. Hmm. Now, are we going to see you in Copenhagen then? Well, it's a possibility. Yeah, I mean, if, oh, if back it continues to, to go the way it is, then uh, yeah, a, might not. Maybe it's a Denmark. Right of passage for other players and reporters. <laughs> <laughs> it might be oiler heavy content out there, anyways. Yeah. Uh, great. Thanks. So, uh, yeah, thanks for the time, Ryan. Okay, guys. Take see care, Ryan. Good stuff from Ryan, Ray, and uh, well, they got the Knights this weekend, um, so that, that uh, they'll, they'll experience the Vegas uh, Vegas crowd. And let me ask you this, Ray: I was going to get to it with you and Ryan, but um, if they miss the playoffs, and they will, right? I mean, we're, they're nine. Yeah, I, I, okay, right. Yeah. If they miss the playoffs, do both uh, GM and coach survive? Um, if the GM doesn't, then the coach won't. Right. Package deal. Um, I, I, that's just my sense here, but um, I think what's going to end up happening is they will stay and there will be 
significant change to the coaching staff. I think Todd will stay. Todd McClellan will stay as the coach, but he brought that whole staff with him from San Jose, and I my sense is that that there will be change to that staff. I'm talking about the penalty killing. You dropped a stat about Zach Cassian the other day. Yes, he is on the penalty he kill. <laughs> He's ahead. on the penalty kill. He's yeah. one of their three groups of forwards that they use pretty regularly on the kill. He has three block shots this year. <laughs> now, not that he has to have a hundred. Yes, but you would think that the puck would hit you if you're in the right spot a few times. You would, and so yes. when this is a, and this isn't, this isn't any more than an illustration. But players often think they're doing the right things and working hard enough. And then every once in a while, there's a statistical reminder that you're not. Or a visual reminder yeah. you see on, on the video. If, if Cassian thinks he's doing a good job penalty killing, or if the penalty killers think they're doing a good job, then that stat tells you you're not in the right lane. You're not in the shooting lane enough. Yeah, Like, you can't... In today's world, you can't not block a shot. Yeah, yeah, it's it's asked of and, everybody, it's, and that, it's, that's just one example of probably ten or twelve things you could go around the Oilers and little things that add up yeah. to become something pretty significant. All right, moving on, we got a little bit of crap on our Twitter account at Paul Pocky for not talking enough Bruins, uh, Ray, and uh, they're four games in hand on the Leafs. They're tied with them. They're 13 games above 500. They're 8-0-2 in their last 10. They're second place in the Atlantic. Uh, Charlie McAvoy is averaging 22 uh, minutes a night, and the Bruins are on fire. Rask has a 920 save percentage. It's hard to believe. We should have got crap for not talking about them because yeah. they have – had a real good run here. Um, it, we'll start with Rask. Interesting enough, uh, at the start of the year, he was brutal. And there was a stretch where Anton Hudobin took the net. And Rask didn't play very much. Uh, then he went through a stretch. Five straight starts, he gave up one or zero goals. And he has been, he has been on fire. He, they kicked away a game. They lost 6-5 uh, their last time out. Penguins. Uh, that was that was Rask's worst game in a while, but it's going to happen once in a while. But he's been outstanding. The blue lines held together. Um, I thought they would have some, you know, some issues there, um, but they've held together pretty well. Charles had a really good year as they've reduced his minutes down. Um, he, McAvoy, Krug, uh, Carlo, Kevin Miller, like they've. Mm-hmm. They've cobbled together a pretty good group. Matt Greslick came in and did a job for a while. He's a player built in the same form as Tory Krug, a good skater, good puck mover. And then up front, they they tried at the start of the year to have David Pasternak play with David Krejci. But Krejci was hurt a great deal. And so they're like, well, instead of having no offense, we'll just load up this top line. Yeah. And the top line is uh, is fantastic. Bergeron, uh, Marchand, and Pasternak. Um, but what happened when they did that is they called up uh, and gave a more significant role to Danton Hennen. Danton Hennen, and he has been amazing. He's had an outstanding rookie campaign. Uh, Jake DeBrusk has scored and done a good job for them. All of a sudden, they're not a dreary team. 
They skate. Mm-hmm. They can score. Krejci's back for the most part. He's kind of in and out. He's unfortunately had some injury problems. Uh, Bergeron, um, we were talking about the Selkie, and we said, I just give it to him anyway yeah. because why not? Well, then he goes, he gets four goals in a game last week against Carolina. <laughs> to Ryan Rashog's point about working on the corners of your game, he scored four goals. The next night, they played again. They had an optional skate in the morning. About five guys went out to skate. Bergeron was one of them. He was out there shooting pucks. Yeah, it's funny how, like, McAvoy, and he's probably not going to win the Rookie of the Year, but he's probably one of the no. nominees. But yes. you can drop a guy in. Like, okay, so your defense looks old and slow, uh, and you and this and that over the years. You know, Chara's game has been leaking a little bit just with age. Um, it's natural. And you drop a kid in, and you give him 22 minutes a night, and everybody slots in better. You've talked about it over and over. Yeah. It's just amazing. One guy, 20 minutes a night, and everybody looks better. Every it's and Mac. I mean, it's got to be. I think we're in agreement. It's got to be the right guy. Yeah, of and course. McAvoy yeah. goes in there, and man, he becomes. He looks like a cornerstone player for them. Mm-hmm. He reminds me a lot of Doughty, um, in uh, Drew Doughty, in the way he plays. You know, he's physical. He can move the puck. He can really shoot it. Um, he's bold, kind of cocky uh, on the ice. I I think they're they're very similar. One thing we didn't mention was. The Bruins really turned around last year when Bruce Cassidy was promoted to mm-hmm. interim head coach. They changed the way they play offensively a little bit. Uh, one of the changes he made immediately was under Claude Julian, they would cycle the puck, hold it, get the puck to the point, and then create their try and start their offense that way. Cassidy wanted the puck not going back to the point, but going straight to the net. And um, almost instantly their offense kicked up a notch. And now they've added some more skill, um, skill scores and um mm-hmm. they're under Cassidy they've become a a more upbeat up tempo team I would think uh, of course the players help as well but they've I mean they're you know they'll pass Toronto here in their four games they're not going to lose all of them so um you know that's that's really the only race left in that division isn't it is uh I would, know, who's I would, going to get the extra home game in the second and third spot? Yep, I think that's, that's what it I think that's what we're looking at uh Boston Toronto first round. Yeah, Florida is uh uh, 11 back. I just don't see it. Yeah, uh, that's not happening. No, no, I don't. I, I agree. Um, all right. Uh, Ray Elliott Friedman in his uh, 31 thoughts column um, expressed that Yarmer Yager's days with Calgary are going to come to an end very soon. Uh, you know, obviously, we've been seeing him been scratched and, and he got hurt and this and that. But I was actually surprised. I didn't know it was going to end. I just thought it was he was struggling. Um, but the, the days of 68 could be over. Yeah, well, he hasn't played, and he's not healthy. And, you know, you when you have a knee injury or a groin injury when you're 23, you bounce back a hell of a lot quicker when you're than when you're 45 or 6 or whatever he is. <laughs> right. And so, you know, like, it, it's just not health-wise, it's not happening for him. I, I thought it was a long shot at best that it could be productive when he showed up this year. Mm-hmm. You know, coming in late, getting it, you know, it was yeah. – like first of November or mid November by the time he, he actually got into into Calgary. So you're trying to catch up, you're trying to push yourself, he gets hurt. It's just uh, I I'm not I guess I'm surprised it'll end like this, but I'm I'm not surprised it wasn't a rousing success. Yeah, yeah. And, and 
I'm, I'm a bit bummed. I think it's a better league when he's in it. But, yeah, it's, it's got to happen sometime. He's 45 years old, right? Yeah, he's not going to play until he's 62. No, you know, like no, exactly. You know, not going to happen. No, absolutely. Um, all right, let's get to some uh, Twitter questions from our, from our listeners. Um, first up, uh, Ray's Random NHLer uh, from Mike DeCobb. Uh, the late Pavel Dimitra was my favorite player uh, growing up, and I know he and Ray were only teammates for a brief period, but does he have any fond recollections, funny moments that he can share concerning Pavel? Yeah, um, in a short time, uh, it, it was impossible not to see why everybody loved Pav. Yep. I mean, he was just a, just a, a positive, happy, <laughs> just a great guy. Um, just so tragic that of the of the players that all perished in that flight, you know, and Pav was one of them, and just uh, just an amazing guy. I got a couple of quick ones. Um, he used to, you know, he had the shaved head, so yep. we had a sauna in the locker room, and after a game, Pav would come out, he'd have his towel on, and he'd have shaving cream like like all over his head and his face, uh-huh. and he. Because he had to, sh- he was going to go shave his, you know, shave. Oh yeah, shave his right. scalp. I didn't even think about it. But he's right. like, oh yeah, it works, works better this way. Works better this way. So he'd come out and the shaving cream would be dripping off his face. <laughs> he didn't care. He was just like, yeah. um, the first time I met him, though. Um, so my nickname in when I was working at ESPN and in those days was Chicken Parm mm-hmm. because of my days at ESPN. So right before the game, I'm, um, you know, my first game, I go and I'm going to the bathroom. I'm standing at the urinal and. I've never met Pav, and he comes, he comes, and he's standing at the next urinal, and we're standing there, and he looks over, and he goes, "Chicken parm," just like, <laughs> and I just right. the first time I ever talked to him, I just cracked up. I'm like, this guy yeah. is hilarious. And the last night I was in St. Louis, um, myself and uh, Sean Podine and our wives and there was another couple there and their girlfriends and stuff. We went for dinner and Pav and his wife were at the next table just happened to be. Uh And so they joined us and Pav said, I'll be right back. And so he went and got this liqueur from uh, home. It was a Slovak Uh after dinner stuff. I don't know what was in it, (laughs) but it was blinding. Oh boy! It was blinding. We were, we basically were stumbling over each other within about three minutes, and Bab was just fine. And it was oh, we just laughed. We're like, "What did you bring us?" And he's like, "It's good stuff. Good stuff." <laughs> but wait, he went home. Oh yeah, he was just, <laughs> in you know, the he was just around the corner from the restaurant. Okay, yeah. right. we were out in the neighborhood or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, um, he just kind of zipped home, picked it up, brought right. it back in. <laughs> And now we're pouring it into these glass. Oh, it was brutal. Him and Keith Kachuk used to get on each other. Uh-huh. They played together, and Kachuk would, would always give it to him. You know, hey, Pab, try send me a pass. It's not bouncing. Right. And Demetra would say, well, try and keep up. And <laughs> right. like, they would just rib each other. Oh, it was awesome. The guys loved it. Yeah. So it was basically, they were basically putting on a skit for everybody else. Every single day, yeah. Uh, from Ray Brinston. Ray, have you ever been to Newfoundland? Any good stories? I've never been. Me neither. Um, I've I've never been to Atlantic Canada. The farthest I've, well, I guess that's not true. Um, I played an American League game in Fredericton. They had an American League team once, but I couldn't tell you anything about it. We got in and got out. I've been in Halifax before, but um, not been to Atlantic Canada and East. And uh, that's something Cammie and I uh, have on our list that we got to get done. 
I spent some time in Moncton. That's about it, as far as I got. And all I kept looking for was Trailer Park Boys filming locations. And they probably weren't there. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, all right. Uh, and this goes to, uh, from DJ Petrin, this goes to Ryan's, uh, Ryan's talk about the penalty kill of the Edmonton Oilers. What's the logic between the special teams percentage being drastically different from home and away? Like, what you've been there. What's the logic in this? Well, no, I've never seen this. I mean, I, the okay. logic is there is none. I, <laughs> okay. I don't, you know, like the the thing that Ryan said, which was so true. It's same net, same puck, yep. same players, same opponents. Like none of it yeah. makes any sense. If yeah. you're, if it would be different if you were twentieth at home and thirtieth at sure. on the road. Yeah, yeah. Or or twentieth on the road and thirtieth at home. It would be a better example. Like, okay, you're bad. That's just the way it is. But to be third or fourth or fifth on the road and 52nd at home mm-hmm. is terrible. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, from Adam Steinhaus, uh, best player, Ray, you played against, with or against, that doesn't get much praise. Who was just a terrific player you don't hear much about? Is there somebody that comes to mind? I mean, we oh, talk, we've talked boy. about a ton of guys. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. it's not like they're – I mean, like I – it doesn't get as much praise. I mean, like the guys I think of right away, I never thought Brian Leach got as much credit as he should mm-hmm. for being an amazing player. Uh, Alex Kovalev, same thing. Yep. Um, Ronnie Francis. Well, two of those three are in the Hall of Fame. Sure. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. You know, like it's not like they're under the radar guys that you, right. you know, you didn't know anything about. But the, like they were the ones I always thought should have. Yeah. It should have been more known how brilliant they were. Um, as as players, I uh, I can vouch for this. When the remember the Leafs got Leach late, right? Yeah, I could not believe how good he was, and this wasn't even prime Brian Leach. The Leafs got him, and I was blown away by him. I'm like, holy! Look at this guy. He was he's so good. Um, I, I obviously I knew him. He won Norris Trophies, won a cup. I watched the Ranger games here and there. But once he got on the Leafs, and I watched you know so many Leaf games, I was blown away by the guy. I'm like, this guy's incredible. All you had to do was. All you had to do was get your stick on the ice, and you were out of the zone. He's an incredible player. Like, like yep. he would put it on your tape, and out you yep. go. Yep. In the other zone, he would just he'd make he had this agility to him that he'd make guys miss, and yep. if you could find an open spot, he would find you. Yeah, I remember him. He was so good at keeping pucks in and dancing yeah, the blue line down out of the air. You see? Oh. Yeah, it's like he had a tennis racket back there. Ray, I'm not sure how, how you're going to answer this, but Andreas has a question. What would you do with Louis Erickson with four years left on his contract? Can't do anything. <laughs> Can't buy him out nope. because that means that's eight years on your cap. Yep. Um, that is the proverbial crap sandwich you've got right there. Yeah. I mean, right? Like what? Can't There's nothing. Nothing. There's, there's nothing. You, they've, they've got four years left. At, with there's two years left, then you can buy them out. But I wish now. we should go back and cut in this this show when they signed him, and you were very perplexed. You, I remember uh, you were like, I don't. It know. made no sense. He had a he had a career <laughs> year. They think they're signing a thirty goal score. You know you're not. Yeah. Like watch the games. Yeah. I don't know how they did it. Good for Louie, making a ton of dough for the next four years, but. That's uh, that contract is yep. was not a winner when they signed it, and it's not one now. No. Uh, from Joe ninety one, did Ray know anyone in his playing days that was gay, and was, what was the negative stigma against being gay when you were in your playing days? What did you? Uh, the answer is no. Yep. Um, 
yet in you know up until when I retired in 2002 you didn't you wouldn't even know I mean I, I don't think yeah. anybody would would have been forthright at all um, with their preferences at that time no um, now imagine? I mean yeah. I'm yeah I mean I can't you know it would have been even just in the locker room I think it would have been odd sure um, because we were all of a mindset that was last century yep um, now I'm I mean I'm I can say positive if that's the right word, but I'm positive there's players that are gay in the NHL. Got to be, right? Got to be. There's got to be. And I don't think anybody would care anymore. I I really don't. What difference does it make? Nobody, 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 well, for the most part, I don't think anybody cares. I've got friends that are gay. Why why would I care? What do I care what they do when they go home? I don't ask what my heterosexual friends do when they go home. Like, who cares? Do what you do. Good for you. I can't imagine in the, in the 80s and 90s when you played that anybody would feel comfortable with probably the words and the, the language that was going around. You know, it's just oh, it was well, just part no, of it. I mean, that yeah. was that was <laughs> what was acceptable then. Yeah, is not even in the ballpark of acceptability <laughs> now. Not even in the same universe. Uh, no. Matt B. asks Ray if you could participate in any winter sport other than hockey, which one would you do? What looks fun? Winter sports. Um. I'll be honest. I'm not a winter sport guy because it's cold. <laughs> okay. Like I, I have skiing has no appeal to me. None. You get in the lift. It takes you all the way to the top of a mountain. You ski to the bottom. Then you get on the lift again, and then you go back up. <laughs> like I don't get it. It doesn't seem at all fun to me. I I I think I would. I don't know why I don't. The- but I think I would try cross country skiing. Or snow skating, you know, like yeah. when you, like I think I would do that, but that would be more for a workout than yeah. Oh, super fun. Um, See me racing motorcycles. I think that I think the the bobsled or the luge would be great. There's a great Jerry. There's a great Jerry Seinfeld bit about the luge. Okay, he's like, you could take somebody, and of course he's being simplistic yeah. and goofy, but he's like, you could take somebody off the street. Strap him onto the luge. He goes, it's not even, it's not even the bobsled. He goes, it's just Bob. <laughs> and, he goes, and he goes, teach him to point their toes and world record. He goes, the guy's screaming the whole way down. Nah, it's world record. I wouldn't want to do that stuff. No right. way, man. Uh, at Chris in Vancouver. So the, answer would oh. be, the answer would be none. Yeah, none. <laughs> at Chris in Vancouver, Ray, given the amount of time you spent living, playing, and working in the U.S., do you ever see a time when the World Juniors can have a thriving gate down there? And if not, should we I ever do. see Canada lobby to host it indefinitely? <laughs> uh, no. That, then no for yep. the indefinite because um, the tournaments that have uh, we've gone to the last couple in Europe have been rousing success. Yep. We were in Sweden and Helsinki. Um, it was amazing. Outstanding tournaments, both of them. Um, I think USA Hockey and the organizing committee dropped the ball big time this last time. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can hold the, the tournament in one city. I think it's got to be in two, um, so you can split the pools, and so the revenues go to two different or come from two different places. You're not asking the same people yeah. to buy all the tickets. Yep, um, that's number one. Number two is I absolutely think it can work. Screwed up here in Buffalo. In 2011, apparently, it was off the charts. 
Um, I wasn't doing the tournament then, so I wasn't there. But um, this time, it's three years and four that it's been just in Toronto or just outside of Toronto. You can only go yeah. to the well so much, and then you you kill the goose, right? So yeah. um, Pittsburgh and Columbus, why not? Tampa was in on this bid. I think you could do something amazing in Tampa where you offer packages down to certain games. You offer, um, you know, people would fly from the north. You yeah. also offer them to uh, the areas in, in the United States that have strong hockey programs. Go to, go to Chicago. Go to, go to Minnesota. Offer packages down. You would be transplanting a lot of the fans, but I think it would be really cool. All right, Mike Shalkoff asks, uh, he's not really sure how to word this question, but I'd like to hear Ray's opinion of a hockey player that has a similar story to a motocross guy where you're at the top serious injury. So let me, um, let me re- rephrase this. So we've got a racer from Germany, one of the best in the world, crashed last year, broke his wrist, broke his arm, compound his arm, broke his elbow. Uh, 11 surgeries later, he made his comeback this past Saturday night and got a fourth. Uh, he was out all year long. It was uh, He was very graphic on social media. I know him a little bit, so I've spoken to him. He's got plates everywhere and so much work. So really serious, bad injury. Came back to get a fourth, and it uh, looks as good as ever. I think he'll be winning again shortly. So the question would be to Ray is, like, what NHLer has you, have you seen come back to an elite level from a really bad injury? Was there an injury? And off the top of my head, I thought about Eisenman's microfracture surgery he had on his knees where his cartilage were all gone. You know, they had to basically saw the saw his uh, tib and fib off and, and, and kind of put it back together, and he came back to a pretty good level. Um, is there a guy uh, like the one, that? Yeah. Okay. First, sorry, Steve. Yeah, Al McGinnis. Oh, okay. Um, uh, Al McGinnis was chasing an icing call down and got, you know, got a stick tied up in his feet, crashed into the boards, dislocated his hip. Um, can you imagine? Like yeah. a, oh, an NHL player. And basically had to relearn to skate and went on to win Norris Trophy, Conn Smythe, Stanley Cup. Um, that would be one. Yep. Uh, now, this isn't uh, an injury, but Mario Lemieux was away from the game for almost two years. Um, with Well, I guess it was. Yeah. With his back, yep. and then he had cancer treatments. And then Mario came back, and I forget the numbers he had. Oh, it was, year, it was <laughs> stupid. Wasn't it, it was like, I think it was stupid. 60 or 70 points in 40 games or something. Yeah, you're like, yeah. It, was, it was like he treated the league like a... Like mini sticks. Yeah, yeah, uh, and, and so that, those would be two examples. Yeah, two guys, and, and then you got you know you got a guy like Pat Peak that never came back from you know his heels. From, Correct. You know, so yeah, you know you've got these guys over the years, and this motocross guy, this this German kid, it's it's pretty remarkable what he's done, you know. So, um, and to just think of the courage it takes. Yeah. Aside from the, you know the the work, physical yeah, the work work to put in, but the courage to get back on there and go, man, every time I turn a corner or go over a jump or something like yep. the courage to do it again is astounding. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, this one, I, I don't know if you saw this on Twitter, but the, the Columbus goal, uh, the OT winner uh, from the Leaf game the other night, um, Zach yep. Wierenski was over the boards to set up a game-winning pass in OT before Seth Jones, who's behind the play, gets to the bench because the benches with the period switch, uh, Columbus bench was in the offensive zone. And there's a photo that uh, this GDR put on that shows Jones – 30 feet from the bench when Wierenski gets on? How do they determine that? How do the officials do that? Uh, is it, you know, they missed well, this call a little um, bit. It it's, looks. Uh, it's a feel, yeah. I guess, more than anything. Um, you know, the, the danger with a stop-action photo is 
by the time it gets processed, maybe it looks to the official like he's closer. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. In international hockey, there's way less leeway. Like, that goal probably wouldn't have counted in international hockey. Yep. And so if I were the Leafs, I would be sour about the change, too. I would also be sour that I had a 2 nothing lead with five minutes left. <laughs> yes, that's, you're exactly right. You're right. Um, but, yeah, so I'm not debating. Right. It probably, was, probably should have been blown dead. Um, but I, yeah, uh, the other thing is, you know, they, they, they kicked away a game. They probably should have won. Hell, they had a breakaway five seconds earlier. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, so it, it, yeah. I don't know. I, I think more people would be in favor of the way we call the, uh, the too many men on the ice mm-hmm. as opposed to the way the international game does. Well, because it is the strictest rule. Like, you can't even believe how strict that rule is. So I was going to say, why don't they put a semicircle from the end of the benches all the way to the other bench if you're not in there? More, more lines. Yeah, more lines, no good. <laughs> okay. Yeah, more lines, it wouldn't do it. Um, and... I'm actually, but I've been going to more games than ever, you know, with the, with the Knights here, and I've been to 15 games. And, yeah, it is sometimes can be pretty liberal. Like I'm watching these guys, and I'm oh, yeah. like, "Oh wow, really? Oh, okay." You know, so and sometimes if you look, <laughs> like there will be fifteen guys on the ice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, five in each play, and then three guys leaving, and two guys coming off. Like it's yep. just, it looks like a bus depot sometimes. Joe Thornton gave his his centerman uh, when the Sharks were here, he he was at the other blue line and, and motioned his stick, like, I'm off, and the guy jumped on. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. Oh, wow. Joe yeah. was just yeah, I'm with he was you. gliding in. I'm, I'm with you. There can, be, <laughs> there can be some leeway there. Yeah, yeah Absolutely. Oh, and especially you calling it from the ice. You see all this. You've seen it, you know, every – I don't notice it on well, TV very much because I'm watching the, the, the no, game on No, but TV. Steve, sometimes, like, the guys on my right, their bench is on my left. Uh-huh. And so – I will see somebody out of the corner of my eye jump into the play, and the guy's not even to the other team's bench yet, like to the door. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, sometimes, like, Komarov does this every once in a while. He'll jump right through where I stand because he's so far Oh, away. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, hi. Hey, what's and up? He just kind of, like, goes through, you know, and yeah. he, like, nods his head and sits down. Oh, awesome stuff. All right, Ray. Well, that's just another wrap on the Pop Hockey Podcast with Ray Ferraro. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Things have been going well. Thank you for the reviews and uh, and the downloads and the shows are up. And uh, I guess you guys like hearing me talk about hockey every week. Well, it could be that or or it just couldn't be. You just never know, right? <laughs> Maybe it's something to do with you. Uh, who knows? But, hey, we got to thank Ryan Rashog today. That was awesome. Come on. That was pretty Pretty cool perspective from somebody that's covered the Oilers for the past 13 or 14 years. Um, thanks for the questions. The questions were awesome this week, and keep firing those in. And uh, we love the love the feedback. Let us know what you like, what you want. Even the even the guy that kicked us in the shins about the Bruins, we like that too. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, that's all right. And of course, uh, you know, you were able to jump on and analyze it uh, probably pretty close. So, um, all right, everybody. Thanks, Ray. Appreciate it. We'll be here next week. Talk to you then. Later.